Welcome to the Humans Outside podcast, where we focus on heading outdoors from our perch in Alaska while hearing from fascinating outside-minded guests. I'm Amy Bouchotts, and since 2017, I've spent at least 20 consecutive minutes outside every single day. On this show, we hear from others who make heading into nature just a part of who they are too. Ready? Here we go. When I decided in 2017 that I wanted to spend a certain amount of time outside every day for a year, one of my first questions was how and where was I going to find the time for that? So I tapped back into my long-term fascination with time management and the knowledge that I truly do have time for anything I want to do. That's the end of the story. But how I got there and how exactly I learned to smash my day and other obligations into really truly having time for all the things I want to do is entirely because of this week's guest. Laura Vanderkam is a time management researcher and expert, the host of several podcasts, including Before Breakfast and The Best of Both Worlds, author of the new book, The New Corner Office, How the Most Successful People Work from Home, and my personal favorite, 168 Hours, You Have More Time Than You Think. She's also has personally participated in my challenge to spend at least 20 minutes outside every single day. Laura, welcome to the Humans Outside podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that very kind introduction, though I'm pretty sure I can't take credit for <laughs> many of your wonderful things you're you're pulling together over there. Well, uh, you you taught me at least the basis, but we'll get we'll get into that. Uh, we start each of these podcast episodes imagining ourselves in our guest's favorite outdoor space. Where are we with you today? Well, we're honestly on my back porch. Uh, I wish it was somewhere more exciting than that. I certainly love being on oceans or mountaintops, uh, and those are great when I get there. But in terms of a a day-to-day wonderful spot, my back porch is um, overlooking the the backyard. It's elevated a bit, so you can see over some of the treetops. The people who had the house before us were very into landscaping, um, which I, it's like magic. I, even in winter, you can't really see that many of the neighbors. It looks very secluded. So especially in spring, as things start opening up, it's a, it's a lovely place to hang out. So I'm trying to get out there as much as possible. Awesome. I am a fan of our back porch too, but only in the non-winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's gorgeous in, in, in the summer, but, and you plant enough pine trees. It's, it's really, you know, you see stuff year round then. That's right. Fair enough. So talk to us first about how you got into this field of time management and productivity. Have you always been a time management and productivity junkie? <laughs> I, I have liked it for a great many years. And certainly before I was known for it professionally, I was into it personally. Um, but, you know, I, I was a writer first and foremost and was casting around for different topics that I enjoyed writing about and that other people were interested in reading it about too. So the, you know, narrow overlap of my Venn diagram here. Um, but time is fascinating to me because everybody has the same amount of time. And so that's that's just such a cool thing if you think about it, because, you know, other people have different things going on for them. They may be richer, smarter, better looking than the rest of us, but nobody has more time. And so whenever you meet people who are just doing amazing things with their lives, they're doing it with the same 24 hours the rest of us have. 
So I have built a career out of studying what these people are doing. So maybe the rest of us can learn from it. Yeah. Um, super fascinating. Uh, you've also done the 20 minutes a day humans outside 365 challenge. I spent a lot of time telling folks to try this. Uh, so it's really incredible to me to see someone I respect so much actually doing it. By the way, like my heart is filled with joy. Oh, good. <laughs> my heart is filled with joy too, Amy. <laughs> so, uh, what did you learn by spending that time outside and building that habit? Yeah, so I tried this for the first time. I think it was winter 2019, maybe. And I had read that you were doing it, and it sounded like a pretty cool thing to try. Uh, our winters aren't quite as brutal, I think, as Alaska here outside Philadelphia, but they can still be kind of dark and cold and depressing. And so I said, well, I know I feel better about life in general when I get outside. It's just, you know, in winter, it's always challenging to do that. So uh, I said, well, let me set it as a resolution, you know, for the first three months of the year, I tend to set quarterly resolutions, which is a whole different story. But anyway, so January to March, I am going to go outside for 20 minutes a day. And I don't know that I hit it 100%, but I got the vast majority of days. I mean, there was one day that I was sort of walking around an airport parking garage, but you know, done that. <laughs> it was it was actually kind of nice. I mean, there was when the sun was going down over the highway. So I was just walking and saying, Oh, the sky is bright pink, you know. Yes, I'm in a parking garage, but it's still nice to be outside for a little bit. Um, and and it it was really it gave me a different experience of winter because winter, you know, going outside still makes you feel better, even if it's really crappy. And a lot of the crappiness you can deal with with good enough gear. Now, I don't know that I'm hardcore enough to be outside when it's like minus 20 degrees, as I've seen some of your Instagram posts. But here it tends not to get lower than about 15 degrees or so. Um, so I can get gear for that and can go us outside and tromp around in the frozen backyard and come back in and feel energized. So I'm really glad I've, I've done it. And it seems, it's something I aim to do most winters. Um, usually I, I go for a run outside. If, if it's not really slick, that's something I can do as well. Um, just so you know, I don't think that 20, negative 20 is significantly worse than 15. It sounds worse. Um, it sounds so much worse. But in practicality, you just wear more of whatever that thing is that you were wearing before. Okay. Um, and you do have to cover your face in a way that you don't at 15 um, because this is, this is going to make it sound even worse. Your nose hairs freeze. And, so, <laughs> and you can actually feel them start to crystallize. It is the weirdest thing. Yeah, um, I guess that's true. So you So it sounds terrible. But like, how do you deal with this? Well, you wear a buff over your face and there's nothing more badass or cooler looking than taking a picture after you've done this of like your breath frozen on your eyelashes. 20 <laughs> minutes is not long enough to actually be suffering after being out there for that for that long, because if you've covered your face and whatever, like it's just not long enough. OK, so you get the all the benefits of looking like a badass and none of the problems. And <laughs> uh, it's my favorite. Well, that sounds great. If it ever dips that low here, I'll remember that. Uh... <laughs> Please do. Please do. Usually um, doesn't. And I um, have absolutely spent my 20 minutes walking outside um, in various and sundry parking structures or my personal favorite, the drop-off area of an airport back and forth <laughs> with my kids, um, yelling at them to please stay away from the curb and... <laughs> 
<laughs> stay to the side, but you know, how much longer mom, 10 more minutes, you know, don't inhale the exhaust. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. it's happened, <laughs> but you know what? It was still better than being inside. And I did notice the trees and there was a nice pink light, like you mentioned. And it was, it was actually uh, super beneficial. And uh, the net gain was um, it evened out having to go back through security. Let's put it that way. So well, that's, that's a pretty big gain then. That's, uh, that's big words. <laughs> <laughs> so since you've started in this field, you've studied a lot of time logs as part of your research and coached a lot of people about time management. You've seen very productive people and probably some totally unproductive people. What's the biggest thing you've personally learned about time? I think that to spend time well, you need to be intentional about it. And that sounds incredibly simple, but it's harder than it sounds because time keeps passing whether you think about how you're spending it or not. And you can't ever save it either. And so unlike, say, money or food or other such things that people track quantities of and, and make decisions about, there's it's much easier to have time go mindlessly um, than than food or money or, or anything along those lines. So in order to spend time well, you need to have some moment in your life where you step outside the flow of time and ask yourself, well, how would I like to direct this? How would I like to spend it? I, I sometimes liken it to taking your canoe to the side of the river and, and looking at the current and saying, okay, well, how am I going to direct myself through this as opposed to just, you know, running with it? Um, and, and, you know, some people are bigger planners than others. I certainly don't mean that in order to be successful, you have to plan every 15 minutes of your life. You, you don't. And I've met many successful people who have a much more free flowing style, but they generally are thinking about, well, what would it be good for me to spend my time on? Um, what is less good for me to spend my time on? And how can I consciously structure my schedule in order to spend more time on the things I am excited about? And I think that, you know, that I do uniquely well. And how can I spend less time on the things that don't fall into that category? Um, so I personally, the thing that I credit for really, you know, keeping me on top of things as such as I ever am, is that I, I plan my weeks on Fridays. I take a little bit of time on Friday afternoon because that tends to feel like you're stepping outside the flow of time. You're usually not doing all that much on Friday afternoon. It's sliding into the weekend. And just look over the next week and say, well, what would I like to do professionally? What would I like to do personally? what's already on my calendar professionally, what's already on my calendar personally. Um, how can I do a good job on those things or how can I get rid of them if I don't actually want to do them? But having this little bit of time set aside to direct the flow of time means that time is spent intentionally and you wind up wasting far less time on things you don't care about. What's the biggest mistake people make while they're trying to do that? Well, I mean, you could go either way of, of planning too much or not planning anything at all. I mean, people say, well, what's the biggest time waster in people's lives? And I think they expect me to say something like television or web surfing or social media or bad meetings or something like that. <laughs> and all of those are indeed culprits. Um, email is another one that can, can consume all available space. But the mindlessness is really the common theme of all of those. And so what you think about on, on normal time, I mean, we're social distancing when we're recording this, but in, in normal times, you know, on a weekend, you might people get up on Saturday morning, sort of not having any idea what they want to do with their time. And that takes a long time to decide. And then they're not sure. And then nothing really happens until the end of the day. And then things are precluded because you didn't think about it. Um, 
and so you wind up having this huge chunk of potentially high quality leisure time or family time spent on things that aren't really all that exciting to you. They're not particularly rejuvenating or meaningful. And so that's where a lot of meaningless time tends to wind up. Um, it's it's not that any given meeting is, you know, a horrible waste of time that's changed your life. I mean, it could be, but, uh, you know, spending work days mindlessly, that happens too. Um, and I find yeah. it like it builds, right? Like mm-hmm. if I have one waste of time, mindless meeting, um, it, <laughs> it feeds into the next one. But if I nip this in the bud right in the start of the day, I am better able to have none of those happen the rest of the day. Am I crazy? No, I mean, I think, you know, so much of time is is how we feel about it anyway. And, and one of the things I'm often talking with people about is scoring victories early in the day, something that makes you feel like you're making progress. You've won because that sense of accomplishment can motivate you to do more. Um, whereas if you start the day not winning, <laughs> then then that sense of not winning can can preclude doing anything else the rest of the day too. It's the eat that frog principle, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that, but I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that we need to eat many frogs at all. I, I mean, ideally people structure their lives. So there aren't a whole lot of things that they really, really hate to do. Right. Like I, I tend to believe that humans don't do well with suffering long term. That's like you want true. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, so if it's a work project you truly hate to do, I mean, yes, you might be good doing it first to get it over with. But maybe long term, you say, well, that's actually maybe not something I'm, I'm best at. I need to maneuver my career to be working on different projects that don't make me feel like I'm eating a frog first thing in the morning or, you know, lots of people exercise first thing in the morning and that's great. But hopefully the kind of exercise you're doing also doesn't make you feel like you're eating a frog. Like it's something you genuinely enjoy um, or at least don't hate. Okay. So, but there's a difference between doing mindless things and being purposefully mind mindless, right? Like you leave behind the things that are eating your time to get space so that you can better use your time? I certainly don't think that spending time in a relaxed way or having consciously chosen downtime is a mistake at all. I mean, this is one of these false sort of choices I've seen. And occasionally people write things about the horrors of time management. (laughs) I think the the title and praise of wasting time has been used in a lot of different ways. Um, And I am... I don't think it's wasted time to have consciously chosen downtime. Like we all need downtime in our lives. The problem is that a lot of us have tons of unconsciously chosen downtime uh, that you have, you know, an hour that you could spend on whatever and you spend it reading tweets that are mean and horrible and don't make you feel better about the world. And so how much better would it have been to just like go outside and stare at the clouds So uh, I I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with downtime. It's when it's mindlessly spent on things that don't actually matter to us that we have more of a problem. Sure. It's, it's sort of, I mean, it is like your finances, right? You want to know where your money is going. It's not that spending it on a latte is bad. It's that spending it on 17 lattes without knowing that you did that is probably not the best choice. Or not even enjoying them, right? Like if (laughs) it's, it's as if you were throwing money at, a coffee you didn't like, 
you know, and just say, I don't know why I keep winding up with these, you know, green milkshakes. <laughs> They're just here. And that's what it's like to spend your time on things that are meaningless to you. So, and, and people have all kinds of these things in their lives. I mean, like sorting the mail pile over and over again, puttering around the house. So these, these things happen, reading clickbait articles online that we don't even really want to be reading. It's the reality of time passing mindlessly is why these things keep happening. I think my biggest pitfall is that I know that I need to go to bed um, at like 8.30. I'm an, okay, guys, I confess that I'm lame and I go to bed at 8.30, but I get up at four. So don't judge me too harshly. Um, I have a habit of the more tired I get, the more I just am scrolling, scrolling, scrolling Facebook or something, right? For no point, And I'm not enjoying it. And I would be much better served if I got up off the couch and went downstairs and went to bed. And I would be not losing anything because I'm not gaining anything by being on the couch to start with. It's a major problem for me. I got to get control of that. <laughs> but it's it's very common because what's happening is as you are getting tired, your sort of ability to make good choices is disappearing along with all the sorts of executive functioning and control. Um, and it takes a little bit of effort to go to bed. Um, so you don't have the ability to put that effort in as it gets later. I sometimes solve this by trying to get ready for bed earlier in the evening. So I'm just ready to fall into bed whenever it is time to put myself down for the night. Um, but I'm, all, I'm a big fan of going to bed early. I, I always say that going to bed early is how grownups sleep in. Uh, so yes. nothing wrong <laughs> with the 830. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for the validation. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, what do you tell people who say they can't, they can't do it. They can't manage their time. They don't want to that, you know, these, um, Gretchen Rubin would call them the rebels, right? They, because you are suggesting they must do this, they, therefore they shall not. Uh, what do you tell people who, who, I mean, in a way want to, but just they can't. I was going to say, well, great, you know, (laughs) not my problem. You know, I don't, I don't actually care if, I mean, I want people to live good lives and I think this is one way to do it, but if you have another way, great. You know, we all can, can manage our lives as we wish to. Um, I think what happens for a lot of people is that they've done okay without thinking about it too much when they're only responsible for themselves because, you know, if you're just an adult going through life, it doesn't necessarily matter if you've made questionable time management choices, like if you don't finish something during the week, heck, you know, just do it on the weekend, right? Make up the time on the weekend. If you don't make a reservation for dinner, well, it doesn't matter. You can go sit in a bar somewhere for an hour at a crowded restaurant back when people did this again. Um, and, and it'll be fine. Like you don't mind having that hour long wait and you don't have a babysitter meter ticking while you're doing it. But what happens though, when people have children, for instance, or wind up with other caregiving responsibilities, is that you become accountable for your time and not thinking about it just leads to sheer chaos. And, you know, again, maybe you can deal with the chaos, but a lot of people just decide it isn't worth it. They need to come up with some habits and some routines and some forward thinking in terms of what is coming up that we need to deal with and logistically, how do we make that happen? Um, and you know, if, if you're making, if you're thinking about those things, then it's just a small step to start thinking about time more broadly and, and how you'd like to spend it and what you need to do to make sure that you are spending more time on those things that are good. 
humans, quick break from our show to tell you about my Humans Outside 365 Challenge and why you should join me. Back in 2016, when we moved to Alaska, we were looking to the outdoors to help us heal from all the junk being a military family had thrown at us, including injuries from war. But moving here wasn't enough for me. I had to actually make heading outside a regular habit. That's why I started a challenge in 2017 to spend at least 20 consecutive minutes outside every single day, no matter what. Now, you might be thinking that 20 minutes is a ridiculously short amount of time to commit to, or you might be thinking that you're too busy to commit to doing it daily. But I'm telling you right now, 20 minutes is long enough to have meaning and you really do have the time. You just have to make it a habit. Better yet, you can join a whole group of people who are already doing it and want to push you along. My life is happier and healthier than ever before just by going outside every day for a measly 20 minutes. You can see my daily outdoor time and share your own by following Humans Outside on Instagram or tagging your own photos with Humans Outside 365. No gimmicks, nothing to sell you, just time outside that makes your life better. I hope to see you out there. Now, back to our show. Now that you've been doing this for more than a decade, when people tell you they don't have time for something, what do you say? Well, my favorite phrase is from a a lady I interviewed very early in my time management writing journey, um, who basically said that I don't have time means that it's not a priority. Mm. And I think that is really more accurate language. I mean, almost anything you'd say that you don't have time for, if somebody offered to pay you $100,000 to do it, like it would rise up the priority list fairly quickly. (laughs) So it's not that you don't have time. It's that you don't want to do it. And that can be, you know, people will come up with all sorts of, but what about this? But what about this? Okay. I'm not saying that everything is because, you know, it's, it's not a priority. I also say there may be bad consequences to making choices. I'm not saying that all choices are consequence free. Um, and, you know, it it may, but sometimes we're making choices because of things we assume as opposed to things that are actually true. Mm. Uh, and, and so whenever you find yourself saying, I don't have time for this, try substituting the language of it's not a priority for me to do X. And if it's true, it's true. Like you can own that truth. I mean, just because it's a priority for someone else or you perceive that it might be a priority for the larger world doesn't automatically mean that it should be for you. But of course, if you're saying, well, actually it is a priority for me, then well, time to find at least a little bit of time. I mean, maybe not a ton of time, but you know, could you find an hour a week spread out over the course of the week? Could you find an hour for this thing you're not doing? Well, great. You know, could you find three spots in a week where you could do this thing? Well, a lot of times people could find three spots. They can't find every day, but maybe three spots. And anything you're doing three times a week is a habit. So this comes back to one of the things that uh, Gretchen Rubin taught me about resolutions. The reason I picked 20 minutes, um, you know, it conveniently, I also read some studies that said things like um, 20 minutes is a pretty good quote unquote dosage of outdoor time, right? There's actually benefits to it scientifically, which is awesome. Um, But the other reason I picked 20 minutes is because I knew that I would never in a million years make time for 45, right? (laughs) Um, I would not make that a priority. I would come up with excuses or something along those lines. Um, And I knew that I could 
winkle 20 minutes a day out of my schedule by simply not scrolling Facebook, you know, five times or whatever. Right. Um, and that that was something I would actually do. And that's why I picked that time, uh, because that's you're right. It's um, it's about priorities, uh, at least for me. I can say that, you know, the other I think saying it's not my priority is a softer way to say I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true as well. But yeah, you're on to something with very small steps, um, you know, if because anything you want to do daily, you're going to need to do on not your best day. <laughs> I mean, and this is this is the problem people often reach with habits is that they're trying to they're setting goals for themselves that assume that it will be their best day. But you can't have that many best days in life. Like you're going to have some bad days too. And so for it to truly happen daily, it needs to be small enough that you can do it on those bad days. So what is that thing? I mean, 20 minutes, that, that's doable on a bad day. An hour, probably not doable on a bad day. And, and so that's why 20 minutes was a lot smarter. So if I came to you and said that I wanted to create this habit 20 minutes a day outside or, or any habit like that, um, and I said, Laura, please, could you help me find a time in my schedule to do this? Like, where would we start? What would you do? Well, I always suggest that people try tracking their time, ideally for a week, just to see where it's going. Um, partly because I have not met anyone who doesn't have some time that they could repurpose to higher value things if they would like. Like nobody's schedule is that perfect. And I'm not saying that the schedule isn't packed full, but there's probably stuff in it that you don't wish to be spending that much time on. And maybe you can do something about it. Um, you know, 20 minutes a day is 140 minutes a week. That's two hours and 10 minutes. So there are 168 hours in a week, which suggests that finding two hours and 10 minutes is maybe not so difficult. <laughs> maybe it can be combined with other things. I mean, maybe a conference call can be taken outside. Um, maybe, you know, instead of going to a restaurant that you don't have to go outside to get to, maybe there's one that you park a little farther away and get to. And, you know, th there's just little ways you could deepen time and find these 20 minutes. But by being aware of your time, you probably will see more open spots say, oh, well, actually, you know, on weekends, I'm seldom doing anything before this time or during the week, I have a little spot of time here and I could choose to do something with it. I, I like what you just said, because it, I think we tend to think about how we spend our time in terms of value propositions or morals, right? And you're not saying that you're attaching a particular value proposition to any given thing. You're saying if you don't want to spend your time like this, stop. <laughs> Netflix is not inherently bad. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Because yeah. we like to like pass judgment on people saying, well, you're just wasting your time doing XYZ thing that I personally don't find value in. But that's not what we're saying. No, I mean, people find value in all sorts of different things. And certainly there's a lot of really great television out. I mean, it's, again, not probably how I choose to spend my time. But if somebody else enjoys that as their primary leisure time activity, as long as it's done mindfully, well, great. Um, right. Also, I think that there's a lot of things that look productive that really aren't. Um, like what? Well, within the context of work, for instance, people will spend hours trying to be on top of email by checking it constantly with the result that they never have open chunks of time where they are not in and out of the inbox. And that means they never get a chance to focus. 
but there was nothing gained by responding to email within 30 minutes as opposed to within an hour. Like that, that's not <laughs> going to, you know, that wasn't, it was wasting the time, the extra time it took to do that, um, to, to be that responsive. And, and same thing with many meetings. I mean, I never understand why all meetings take 30 or 60 minutes. Like do all human decisions like naturally lend themselves <laughs> to 30 or 60 minutes? Well, no, it's just that, you know, people are accustomed to managing by time, not by what they're actually trying to get done. And many meetings don't start with saying, well, this is what's going to change in the world as a result of our having this meeting. And if nothing's changed, then it's unclear why everyone got together in the first place. Uh, so you can waste a ton of time that way. I would say that um, housework, of course, is another thing that expands to fill all available space. And yes, some needs to get done, like you don't want to live in squalor. But I mean, there are people who kind of patrol the house, making sure the wastebaskets are always empty. <laughs> like, well, why? Right? <laughs> like, it's just going to fill up again. Um, so there's no inspection, like coming around, like you get extra bonus points if there was nothing in your wastebasket. So I, I, you know, these, these are all things that people fill time with, and it looks productive that you're doing it, but I would argue that it might have been wasted time. Well, one of the, my favorite things that you taught me was the power of outsourcing. I don't think that I have really thought that through before I read your book the first time. Um, and I am a big old fan now, for example, my house cleaner arrives in an hour. So <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> but because I looked at my schedule and I looked at the value of my time and I determined that paying somebody who is a professional to spend three hours once every other week cleaning my house was worth, my time is worth more than doing that. Um, and they are better at it than me and do it faster than I could. And now I'm supporting the economy. There's just so many good things. Yeah. And all of them end with my house being clean. Yeah, it's great. It's nice. <laughs> It's like just winning all around. And I'm, it just felt, like I said earlier, fills my heart with joy. What can I say? Um, for me right now, though, the biggest challenge isn't finding time. And I, I think probably a lot of people feel this way. It's because I know how to do that, right? It's finding time that also corresponds with brain power. When I have time, I no longer have the energy or focus. I don't know. Maybe this is a commentary on getting older. Um, do you hear that complaint from other people? Well, certainly time is time, but not all time is best suited to all things. Um, for instance, a lot of people have this idea that they're going to write the great American novel at night in the time that is left over after they have done everything else. And that would not work out Yes, for me. they get to nine o'clock at night, the kids are asleep and they're like, hmm, I'd rather watch Netflix than write the great American novel. And, you know, it's understandable because you're tired at that point. Yes, it's an hour, but it's hard to do it unless you have consciously planned out your energy for the day so that you are ready to sit down and do that. And, and the rest of your life supports that structure. Most people have more energy in the morning. I mean, this makes sense. You sleep, you add to your energy levels. Um, you know, you may eat in the morning and then you add to your energy levels more and, and then you're ready to take on the world. If you've had coffee, that's even more the case. But by mid-afternoon, most people go into something of a slump. This is when small children nap and many people who are older than the small child stage would like to nap. Um, and, and it's very hard to focus at that point. And, and the reason, you know, and, and this can be very challenging for people. I, I had a question somebody sent in for on one of my podcasts that she and her husband were splitting the day with childcare, as a lot of people who, who don't have access to childcare right now are doing. 
And her workday then started at 1 p.m. She said, well, the problem is after chasing the kids all morning and get to 1 p.m., I don't really feel like working. It's like a you know low energy time anyway, and I'm tired. How do I do this? And so we said, well, you know, you've got to come up with some sort of like starting ritual that you know you're in workspace. You might try to choose something for that hour, you know, with the kids before the 1 p.m. start that's that you enjoy, right? That's not going to be draining for you. Maybe it's a walk or maybe it's, uh, you know, reading stories or something that's a little bit more enjoyable for everyone than trying to battle do sibling battles or something. And and then, you know, planning out your work so you know exactly what you're going to do at 1 p.m. when you start so you're not burning energy deciding and then you've burned so much energy deciding that you don't feel like doing it. Um, I mean, so there are ways you can counter low energy times, but it's also just helpful to know when they're coming and then decide, well, is it is it even going to work? And if it is, what can I do to make sure that my stuff still gets done? And if it isn't going to work, then you need to rework your schedule. I mean, maybe somebody would be better off getting up at from at four in the morning and working from four to six and then dealing with the childcare and then at 1 p.m. taking a nap for an hour and then getting into their work. Yeah, preach. Um, I've decided my missing piece for my, because so, I have this like period of time between seven and when I go to bed that my kids are gleefully listening to Harry Potter on Audible and I am doing nothing. And so I've decided that this is a great time to do things that don't take any brain power. But the problem is that I'm so tired, I can't think of what they are. So <laughs> I've decided I need to sit down at like 3 p.m. and make up this list of leftover stuff that I can do at, during that chunk of time um, so that I actually have them written down and then don't have to think about them. I can just, you know, mindlessly do them. I'm talking about things like editing photos, like just things that take no brain power and are such a waste of time when I am like keyed in, but then I can't think of them later. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of lists in general. They help our brains remember you know, what we're going to do when our brains are not equipped to figure that out. I like to end each workday by setting my to-do list for the next day, because I'm, I'm not going to know where I left off on everything in the morning. And I don't want to burn time uh, deciding, especially now that everyone's home right now. It just, you know, you have to seize what work time is available. And uh, yeah, so make so it smart. Um, so I want to, I'm hoping you can unpack something for us a little bit because I've mentioned, I've actually mentioned you saying this in this show a couple of times. Okay. So now that we have you here live and in the flesh, um, I've heard you talk about the problem of logistics versus time. That um, one type of problem is a logistics question and the other one is a time question. Can you unpack that, pack that for us a little bit? Well, I mean, I think we, with 168 hours a week, we certainly have time for all kinds of things. Um, you know, if you are working 40 hours, a full-time job, and sleeping eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours a week, that leaves 72 hours for other things. And people like to go through this. I've Again, you know, I read all this time management literature. People try to point out that big chunks of this are, you know, associated with various things. But you, many of that you don't have to do or it doesn't take nearly as long as people claim it does. Like there is still time left over. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but that 72 hours is still some time there. The question is, well, can you use it for everything? And no, like, I mean, if you have a two-year-old who is around for most of those 72 hours, it's not going to be automatic that you can say, go get a pedicure, but you may have other resources available to you that 
if you think through the logistics, then you could go do many of those things. Like, do you have a partner, for instance? If that partner is there and capable of caring for the child, like, well, you actually have logistics, uh, the ability to do many things. You just have to talk about it um, and you have to make a plan for it because your partner isn't automatically going to know that's what you want to do and may not, you know, much as we love our partners, they may not automatically volunteer <laughs> to cover the time with the two-year-old. But if you say, hey, you know, on this Saturday, I have an idea. Like Sunday's going to be family day. Saturday, you and I split. Like I will take X hours, you take Y hours, and each of us could go do whatever we want during that time. Well, that seems like a very reasonable proposition and everyone knows that's coming up. You can make your plan for it um, and, and know you'll get time to do some fun things. But if you don't talk about it, then you won't. Right. So again, priorities. Priorities. Priorities and logistics. So if I was going to tell you or a listener was to ask how they possibly can find time to create an outdoor habit, uh, what would you tell them? Maybe three or four actionable steps. Well, we discussed tracking our time, um, looking at your schedule and identifying a few things that could be that you're already doing that could be done outside. Um, you know, this is just a way of multitasking. Well, I would say so whether it's a, a phone call that could be done outside, maybe it's that you walk somewhere instead of driving at some point. Um, maybe you take a workout outside sometime. Um, you can even have a, a meal outside if you're in some place where the weather is nice. Uh, but these are all things that could maybe be moved outside. So identify a few of those. Um, you know, you might also note that uh, everybody needs breaks. Um, and unless you are chained to your desk, you could probably go outside for a 10 minute break somewhere in the day. Um, you know, think of it as a smoke break without the cigarettes. Um, you're just going outside, <laughs> just like just like the smokers in your office would do. Only you are not ruining your lungs. Um, and, you know, so so identifying a quick break you could take somewhere during the day when you have a low energy point and then maybe coming up with you know, fun family or weekend activities that would get you outside for a little longer period of time. I definitely encourage people to think about their weekends ahead of time. And one of the things you could do is say, well, what sort of outdoor activities would be feasible? Looking at the weather report, looking at the temperature and, you know, what else we have on the schedule. When could we build in some outdoor time as a family? And that, that should get you to at least 20 minutes right there. Yeah. Um, multitasking sometimes is the great Satan of the productivity world. You know, there's the, people go back and forth, right? Like, Oh, you should multitask. And then no, don't multitask. That ruins your flow. Okay. But what we're saying is multitask smartly. Yeah. And I, I don't think that this is what people would talk about as multitasking. I mean, when you're listening to a podcast while driving, you are multitasking, but most people don't think of it that way or even listening to the radio um, or if you are listening to music while cooking dinner or something. Th these are ways of multitasking, but you're not using the same parts of your brain. It is not the same as trying to listen into a conference call and checking email at the same time. That is multitasking that doesn't really work or or else you're just not paying attention to one of those things. And, or, or maybe you shouldn't be on the conference you call. You shouldn't be on the call. Is, is, if, you can con if you can multitask during a conference call, you probably shouldn't be on it. That's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> but, you know, going on a walk with a friend is not is multitasking, but it's not a bad sort of it. You know, having lunch with a friend, you're you're eating and socializing. That's two things. But, you know, most of us don't think of that as, as a bad form of multitasking. I do find the proposition of doing two things at once 
irresistible. So <laughs> successfully and correctly, let's put it that way. I could talk to you for literally all day, but instead we're going to go into our leftovers round. Um, I want to know, since you do, do have this outdoor habit, um, what is your favorite outdoor gear? So wait, this is not the same question of the one we have to have, right? Yeah, <laughs> there, there's two, we, I find that there's really two different types, right? There's things that we love and then things that we can't live without. So, hmm. okay. So I enjoy a big towel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to have something to sit on, on the ground and, and it, you know, makes me think of the beach and sometimes I use them at the beach and it's really nice to just sink into a big fluffy towel. So I would say that would be one of my favorite outdoor items. And what's your most essential? Rain pants. Rain pants. <laughs> well, I, so I, one of my sons is in the Cub Scouts and we do camping trips usually every October and every May. And I feel like our Cub Scout troop has its own personal rain cloud that follows us around <laughs> because it rains every single camp out. And I feel like, you know, we had raincoats, but it was still just ridiculous. And, and then last time I was like, okay, I'm going to buy rain pants. And so he and I wore our rain pants on the trip and it was actually so much more pleasant because our legs weren't wet. Transformative. <laughs> transformative. I like, Oh, we can be in the rain and not. Yes. Uh, when I decided the day, yes, the day I decided I was going to spend this amount of time outside every day, it was raining. And I was sitting outside feeling angry because it was raining. And because I had waited for Alaska to be not doing something terrible for a long time, months and months and months. This is like Memorial day weekend. Okay. And I sat there and I said to myself, Amy, if you sit here and wait for Alaska to do what you want, like it's never going to happen. So <laughs> yes, exactly. you should probably get over that. And two, what, like, let's make a, have a think about the practical things that we're missing to make this doable. And the very first thing I did was walk inside and order rain pants because I was like, so help me God, we are going outside and we are going to be dry. So <laughs> yeah, the rain pants are key. I mean, I run outside a lot too, and I run in the winter and I, it was, yeah, buying warm, fuzzy pants. I, I had, you know, running tights, but I realized I don't like spandexy tights, even if they're allegedly windproof or whatever. I'm, I don't like wearing them outside in the winter. So I'm going to buy warm, fuzzy polar tech pants and run in those. And it just, you know, again, transformative, transformative, transformative. All right. Final question. If you're going to close your eyes and picture or remember your most favorite outdoor time ever, where are you and what are you doing? I think I'm running on the beach. Um, I have run on a lot of beaches and many of them are gorgeous. So I'm not sure I have a favorite one. I, I always love California. If I can run along the beach in San Diego. Um, there's one I remember just because we had a family trip to San Diego, I think it was early 2016. And my husband and I each agreed to take the kids for a day um, and give the other party a day off. And he wound up going kind of over the top and took our, the kids we had at the time to Disneyland, which was like two hours away from San Diego. And then they spent the whole day there and came back. So I had this whole day to myself and I went on a nice long run along the cliffs in San Diego. And it was just one of the most beautiful experiences ever. Amazing. Laura, thank you so much for being on the Humans Outside podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. 
That's it for this week's episode of the Humans Outside Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a little love and leave a rating and review to make it easier for other listeners to find the podcast too. Until next time, we'll see you out there. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.